For anyone who doesn't know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Mind Your Melon has been working with Bayer Vegetable Seeds to do something special in honor of this month. Bayer Vegetable Seeds is committed to delivering on their vision of health for all and hunger for none, and the mental well-being of farmers and other agricultural stakeholders is critical to that goal. So big thanks to Bayer for the support as we share this mini-series of episodes, along with some other cool surprises throughout the month of May. Hey Hey there, there, friends friends and and farmers. farmers. I'm Marshall. And I'm Taylor. And this is the Mind Your Melon Podcast. We're excited to bring you the first season of our podcast, sharing thoughts, stories, and resources to inspire healthier minds with proactive choices and lifestyles. We'll cover a lot of topics, including fitness, food, and even finances, all contributing to healthy minds and proactive lifestyles. Tough topics for sure, but don't worry, because we're going to try our best to lighten them up with a bit of humor here and there. Thanks for listening. Now, Mind Your Melon. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Melon podcast. Today, I've got the opportunity to sit down with Kelly Bristow, the Global Nutrition Affairs Lead for Bayer Crop Science. We have the chance to have a conversation regarding realistic and attainable habits that you can be adopting in your life that will proactively and positively impact your overall mental well-being. Hope you stay tuned to check out this episode. Kelly Bristow, I'm so excited to have you on this episode of the show. And uh, coincidentally enough, we only had to come to Arizona to finally actually be able to sit down and do it. I Weirdly enough, not close to either of our hometowns. Not even remotely. <laughs> but we're at a very cool conference and we're getting to talk about something that we both know and appreciate. And well, you know more so than I do, but that is nutrition. And for the sake of this particular episode on concepts around nutrition, I couldn't think of a better resource than you to come on and and talk about just connecting some of these dots between what we're trying to do with Mind Your Melon and also nutritional background. So I guess to start out, talk a little bit about your background, what you do, and your involvement in nutrition, because it's fascinating. Well, thank you first for for having me on. I feel so lucky to be able to work with you and among amazing colleagues that at the end of the day, just trying to increase produce consumption. So I feel lucky that every day I get to do that as part of my job. But um, I am a registered dietitian by trade and, um, you know, kind of got started in nutrition. Um, It's actually back in high school. I took a food science class and immediately fell in love with food labels, which sounds really weird. Um, but I loved everything about food, why people eat it, what's in it, um, and kind of the science behind it. And then, um, I did have some personal health things that had me looking even a little bit more closely at food. And so I just went down a path. So I immediately went from high school to a college where I knew I could become a registered dietitian and then, um, was fortunate enough to be able to do an internship in my hometown and had exposure to, a lot of different things during my internship, um, which ultimately led me down my path that I'm in now. So there are so many things that I could start talking about right there, <laughs> but I know there's even more to the story. So that's how you got involved in nutrition. Correct. But real quick, can you give some of the highlights of what you've done from a career standpoint? Yeah. So you had the interest in nutrition, which really resonates with me. And we can talk more about that in a bit. But how did it lead to some of your career pathways that you've you've gone down? So if you would have asked me when I was in my internship, if I was going to be working in agriculture, I would have said, you're probably crazy. I didn't grow up actually in agriculture, but I was extremely fortunate young in my career to have exposure and immediately fell in love with everything about it. Not only the connection of who grows our food, but how it's grown and fundamentally like 
at the basis of everything we do in nutrition, any counseling, anything we do about encouraging whatever food group we're encouraging, foundation is no, if we don't have our farmers, we don't have our food. And so getting that closer connection. Um, but it's actually kind of a funny story. I was in my internship volunteering at a health fair and um, someone asked if, if I could help pass out cheese samples. Um, it was just like a general question. They're like, does anybody like cheese? I'm like, I actually love cheese. <laughs> love yeah. And I would be more than happy to hand out samples. And it weirdly enough turned into like a mentorship. So um, she worked for Cabot Cheese. And so I um, ended up doing a Cabot Cheese roadshow at our local grocery stores. And it ultimately um, led to my first job with our St. Louis District Dairy Council. So it was my first real interaction with dairy farmers. And and um, I was able to as part of the checkoff. So I essentially acted as like the marketing arm for our local dairy farmers. So did anything from going on TV, doing recipes to going around to local school districts and talking about the benefits of consuming milk. So that was my first real exposure into agriculture. And it ultimately led to my next phase, which was in school nutrition. So I spent four years working for a local school district in an urban setting where I had a first grader actually ask me if chocolate milk came from brown cows. I had um, another student, like the the connection of like they thought Cheetos just like replenished themselves on grocery store shelves. Like that's just... They grow in the back. Yeah. They grow in the back yeah. and they bring them up. Um, so I was able to uh, um, apply for a USDA farm to school grant and received um, a sizable implementation grant for farm to school. So I was able to work with local conventional and organic farmers um, and then also put in raised bed gardens throughout these urban school districts. And to see like the light bulb go off in these kids... Um, was really amazing. So I mean, Kelly, I can eat, I can eat this out of the ground. It's like, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Um, so to see some of these light bulbs and then we would do like a whole, um, salad day where we would grow the salad and then eat it in the classroom. So just, we learned about math and science and, and everything. So I just, my love of food and farmers and agriculture continued to grow. Um, and then I did do a short stint in outpatient counseling where I still found these undertones of agriculture. I'd have patients asking me, should I be eating organic? What is it? Um, you know, what is conventional farming? What's a GMO? Um, food and I, phobias food and all the myths. phobias, all the myths. I mean, if we don't have enough to worry about, gosh, add, is this sustainable? What's the carbon footprint? So I found that there were still these like undertones throughout, even in an outpatient counseling setting. And so it was just constantly this pull to be in agriculture. And so um, living, born and raised in St. Louis, um, so I had the opportunity to join on with Monsanto um, at the time and now with Bayer, um, doing a lot of their nutrition affairs work. So connecting fellow nutrition professionals to agriculture and having those overtones. And, but enough about me. And, and, and this is where real quick, I, I'm, I'm going to brag a little bit. So Kelly, uh, title being Global Nutrition Affairs Lead. Let me repeat that for anybody listening. Global Nutrition Affairs Lead. And Kelly has shared some really interesting stories with me around going and working on projects in the White House or, uh, you know, with um, these global affairs organizations, WHO in, in the Vatican and different things. So just super cool to get your perspective on the idea of just general nutrition and, and general consumption because when, when I mentioned earlier that there are these things that you you said that resonated with me, I think back to my background, just the 
the types of foods and in the sort of menus that we were used to growing up and in super traditional, just rural environment, growing up on the family farm, what we would typically eat and never really paid much attention to it. And it wasn't until I started getting older after we experienced the loss of my dad and things like that. And I really started going that down that whole rabbit trail of trying to understand things that impacted our well-being and our moods mm-hmm. and just all of those things. And I started paying more attention to the labels or just different d- different food information and, and eating habits. And so uh, I, I will point out too, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it, but Kelly probably gets tired of my phone calls and my emails sometimes because when I have a question around supplements and powders or certain ingredients and all these things, she's usually the one who who has to field all these questions. So I do appreciate that. I appreciate you seeking someone out that has a dietitian background and, and asking those questions. So I welcome it anytime. And no, I, I will have plenty more questions to come, I'm sure. But for the purpose of this conversation, I am curious, talking about you know those types of things I grew up eating, can we talk a little bit about or do you want to share some of your insight on, let's think about the average consumer mm-hmm. or maybe the average American, if we're looking across the country, you've got such a disparity of, of budgetary constraints and just, you know, general demographic backgrounds. And that then impacts the way we feel about food, the way we consume food, the foods we can afford, all of these things. From from your eyes, what do you see in terms of how we're we're treating our overall nutrition and our overall food consumption? You know, I think it's it's an interesting question for sure. Um, and I think one of the things that's even missed is cultural. So you had even said, you know, the foods that I ate when I grew up or just even still continue to eat. So food is so much more than just food. And so what we find even from a global perspective, um, it's, you know, what brings us around family gatherings. It's associated with happiness, sadness. Um, There's so much that gets tied into that. Um, But even more so now we're, we are feeling really hectic schedules. We're coming out of a a global pandemic where things drastically slowed down for a lot back to like full force running full speed. And so we see, um, more stress coming onto people as we get back to, I hate the phrase, but the new normal. (laughs) Um, and I hate to even say it, but now that we're like back to what we were seeing pre pandemic. Um, so I think it's, it's the cultural, it's the convenience, it's, um, emotional. There's so many different factors that go into food choices. And I know even for me, we're traveling right now. And so my, my food choices look quite different than they do if I'm at home. Um, so just thinking about the context and thinking about those events and different things in our lives and, and how food choices you know, in, are impacted by those. Random question, but do you ever pay attention to that TV show, The Foods That Built America? You- I enjoy watching that show. Yes. (laughs) So I I think of that because you're talking about culture and and things that were raised around. And I just go back to these conversations that we have around food and nutrition and think about these brands that we've known for generations and generations and for decades. And then we get into some of the data and some of the research that you've shared and that we talk about within our, our, you know, both our personal and professional settings. But We've, we've built so much of our life around convenience market and fast foods and processed foods and what we would, at, at the grocery retail level, we would consider sort of center shelf, all of these things. And 
what do you think about how that impacts, you know, our current grocery habits mm-hmm. and, and the foods that we're eating at home? Because what I, what I would really like to, to do is kind of get to some of what we're finding out about the foods that we eat and how they're actually impacting overall moods and well-being. Absolutely. And so I think, I think at the foundation, um, there is good research to support that eating enough fruits and vegetables is a really big core foundation. Um, and, you know, we're at, at a conference that's talking all about that as well. And so I think for most convenience foods are unavoidable. So it's thinking about how can we build and structure what's around that to even enhance some of the convenience food. So looking whether you're in an area where fresh isn't necessarily accessible and convenience is the only choice, how can we empower those consumers to find convenient options to surround maybe the the more processed foods that they're consuming? So I feel like for me, I've always had an all foods fit approach. And so, um, and meeting a consumer where they're at. And so, um, you know, just making a, a drastic shift if you're consuming multiple processed foods, um, to, to ultimately not, um, kind of finding what works for you, but thinking about what can we add to the plate that can really help balance it out and what foods aren't we consuming enough of primarily fruits and vegetables and how can we surround the foods that we are eating with those to help really not only from um, a a mood perspective, but thinking about cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes, um, that one extra addition can make a a really big difference. I agree with that. And and I do think that it's interesting. We've got some different We've got some different researchers and different sets of data that that we have talked about before and, and that are interesting. And we could probably provide some links to those uh, in, in the comments if anybody wants to check it out or they could reach out and ask. But even just around something as simple as you're talking about, okay, what are some attainable realistic steps that we could take to add in the right things or maybe dial back some of the things maybe we know we shouldn't be doing? But it's interesting to think about, you know, making sure that we're getting the right amount of protein treating our brains more like a muscle and you know we we need protein we need protein synthesis and stuff to actually function and and so treating our brain more like a muscle and adding in some of those fruits and veggies and things like that that are going to have more anti-inflammatory and and antioxidant type properties and things and so there are little things that at the end of the day are relatively straightforward choices you know I, i don't i don't necessarily think the threshold to get more involved or start making some of those choices is all that high but what do you think about just some of our, like our stress eating and, and what we, what we lean into whenever we do like just look for those comfort foods. Yeah. And I think it's become a little bit of that like social norm. It's almost like I've had a stressful day. And so looking at like your triggers, so I feel like it, it has become that. And so gosh, changing, um, especially when I was in the outpatient setting, behavior change is incredibly difficult. Um, I mean, think about the last time you made a major behavior change and what it took to get to that point. And so, um, I'm fortunate, um, just in how I grew up and, you know, what I'm able to afford and, and the privileges that I, I, I have to have access to fruits and vegetables. It's kind of just been ingrained. Um, but thinking about someone that maybe has zero intake or zero balance, um, on the plate, what that one change could mean to them and making it super applicable within that individual setting. So, um, so thinking about that, but then, you know, the, the stresses of it. So, um, you know, thinking about what are your triggers and 
could it be a healthier swap? Maybe not even for food. Um, I know you and I talk a lot about physical activity as well. Um, for me, if I feel stressed, it's my habit to go out and get fresh air. It can be 30 degrees and I'm still going to get a little bit of fresh air and that provides mental clarity for me. But thinking about what others have found mental clarity in, it might be that comfort food that takes them back to a childhood memory of just for that one moment, not thinking about the external stressors. So what can someone do to maybe have that same boost of feel goods um, that wouldn't center around maybe a negative habit or something that would not help their health? And that goes back to something else we've discussed before, and that's the idea that it's it is not a one-size-fits-all approach. It, whether we're talking about the foods we eat, the activities that we participate in, or any of these different factors, if if we go into it with the mentality that what's going to work perfectly for you is going to work perfectly for me, then we're already missing the boat. But I think that just that how we can start figuring out some of these small incremental steps that we can make in a positive direction, that starts compounding. You know, the, the small things become the habits yeah. and, and hopefully healthy habits. Yeah. And yeah, so no, I think there's a lot of merit to that. And for anybody listening, I, I would encourage you to stop and think about just opportunities you have in your day-to-day life. You know, are there, if, are there some of those things with our daily diet? You know, yeah. we could be swapping out for even one little thing here and there that might be a step in the right direction. Could we find some more activities or something that we would enjoy and we could participate in to get our mind off of things whenever we are going through stressful events. But And I, I think too, it's always funny because there's this like negative thought around activity and fruits and vegetables and healthy eating. It's like, ugh, I got to eat my vegetables or like, man, I got to go for this one. Find something that you actually like and start there. Um, you know, I, I've worked in, with kids and in schools and to have moms say, my kid just really only will eat carrots and ranch. That's a celebration. <laughs> he likes carrots and ranch. Like, let them eat carrots and ranch. Um, or thinking, I absolutely hate running, but I really like playing pickleball. Go. That's like the new trend right now. But anyway, I feel like everyone's playing pickleball, but go out and play pickleball. It's movement. Do you enjoy dance? Like, what, what makes you happy and brings you joy? Because at the end of the day, that's what eating healthy and physical activity is meant to do. But you're already setting yourself up for failure if you hate it. Like, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to someone and they just dread any, I absolutely hate Brussels sprouts or I absolutely hate, and it's, don't, don't eat them then. You can get plenty mm-hmm. of good nutrition. There are other options. There yeah. are other options and it doesn't have to be hidden in ice cream. I saw cauliflower ice cream. <laughs> I don't know when we started, like let ice cream be ice cream to all my dairy farmers. Like let people like enjoy, enjoy that, but find the balance and the enjoyment um, of food again. And f- food should taste good. And, and that includes our fruits and vegetables. And so thinking about how to bring the joy back. And on that, we're talking about like, when did we start mixing cauliflower with ice cream and this and that? And we talked a little bit about food phobias and food myths. And and I don't necessarily mean to get off on a tangent here, but I, I do have to remember that this is going to be geared more towards, you know, people within industry and, and people who have agricultural background. But we do have some people who listen who may not necessarily be directly involved in, in production or in the industry. And so any any comments that you would want to share uh, just regarding some of those, the buzzwords, I'll call them, yeah. you know, the, the all organic, all sustainable, all this, all that. And what's concerning to me is sometimes I think that it almost creates so much confusion 
around all of the different options that some people just, they almost get decision fatigue or they don't, they don't necessarily understand all of the, the different marketing and buzzwords. So it's, you don't really know what direction to go. And sometimes I think we almost get in our own way and create barriers to entry into some of these healthy foods. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more barriers to entry. I like, I like that. I mean, I just, again, from personal experience, saw it firsthand. Um, even with, you know, a mom trying to make a decision for, for their child at the grocery store, and it is overwhelming. Um, what is an agricultural practice? What actually impacts the nutrition? You've got a, a million and one different labels you could look at, and it, it can get really overwhelming. Um, so for me, even young in my career, not having that exposure until, um, until I really started working in agriculture to know what, what is all the difference. So I always encourage, if you can talk to a farmer, um, I can't stress that enough, even if it's at your local farmer's market, or, um, if you have the opportunity to go out and see it, to like put that connection together, but not everyone's going to have the opportunity to do that. So knowing at the end of the day, what works within your own budget, your own preferences and, um, and, and then everything else can kind of fall into place. But there are a lot of buzzwords, lots of confusion in the aisles right now. Um, but all types of agriculture are really needing to come together to help not only ensure enough food, but enough healthy food. And so at the end of the day, I have never met a farmer across the industry that's not thinking about sustainability at the forefront of what they do. And that could be the sustainability of a family business that's been around for a hundred years, or that could mean the sustainability and, or I should say of their soil. So I know things like soil health are a big topic right now and soil is going to be a farmer's number one asset. And so, you know, as the consumer, just really knowing that farmers are at the forefront of ensuring safe and affordable and sustainable, sustainable food, um, I think is, is always what I'm trying to encourage and, um, knowing what fits within your own family structure. So I never discourage someone, if someone wants to go out and buy a particular type of produce and that fits within their budget and you're eating it, that is great. But it's when some of the labels hinder consumption, um, out of fear that it, it becomes a concern. So, um, if you can talk to a farmer, um, know what works for you and your family and, um, ask questions to, to people when you have them. And at the end of the day, I think just remember that there are plenty of options too. I think a story sticks out to me that you shared with me one time and, and you mentioned, uh, you alluded to, I think either that same story just a second ago, or maybe a similar story, but really stuck out with me whenever you said you had uh, somebody come to you and they were saying, well, I, I can't afford the organics. I, I, so I just must not be able to buy vegetables at all, you know, and that's just, it's a tough perspective. And so I just, I want to encourage everybody, um, just think about the different options that you have. As Kelly mentioned, think about what's realistic and attainable and just know that there are safe, healthy options. And I think that it all plays a bigger part in how we're taking care of ourselves and how we're treating our overall well-being. And uh, don't forget, fresh, canned, frozen, um, you know, fresh is, is awesome. And especially when it's in seas. I know you're in Florida. St. Louis is a little different <laughs> um, in terms of seasonal produce. We do get some good stuff over the summer. Um, but thinking about the fact that we have choices is, is absolutely amazing, um, but that you can get frozen um, and you can think about even freeze dried. I mean, there's so many different varieties now. I mean, that get, gets kind of back to like your flavor and texture preferences. Um, there really is options um, across the uh, across the board to find things that you like. And I know we're getting close on time. And so we'll start wrapping this up here in just a little bit. But I still think back to, you know, 
the core of this conversation, and we're going to be releasing it in in Mental Health Awareness Month in, in the month of May, and really wanting to just highlight some of these proactive measures we can be taking to take take better care of ourselves. And I probably will have some people listening to this shaking their head and thinking, you know, why are you on there talking about, you know, eating more fruits and veggies and this and that? But do you have any thoughts or do you want to talk a little bit about just some of the low-hanging fruit? You know, we've talked about nutrition and consumption and everything, but just in general, the 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 things that we can be doing or checking the boxes to to really be taking care of ourselves. I want you to think back to like a time and, and even to the listeners when you did something that you felt genuinely really good about for yourself and how that feeling made you feel. I know you and I, I think we're actually talking yesterday too. I was reading a book to my son. It was about how one act of kindness, you don't know where that's going to carry to the next and to the next. So when you think about it, it might seem overwhelming to, to think about these changes. Think about doing something for yourself even if it's a mindful minute or grabbing that fruit or vegetable and the feeling that that gives you and how that can be sustained and maybe even trickle down to different habits and different things. So start small, but think about where that one small thing can make it grow. Um, And then, you know, just in general, I I think adding one more serving of fruits and vegetables. So start again, starting small, thinking about those um, really, really small changes that can lead to bigger, bigger things in your life. And that plays right into the core of what we're trying to get to is just all of these things all kind of go together. And there are aspects and avenues of our lives, whether it be getting out and taking some time for yourself, you know, stopping what you're doing for a bit to enjoy a hobby or something or spend some alone time or making better choices in terms of what you're putting in your body or how you're treating your body and things like that. They they all end up playing together and go towards a more positive or proactive approach to our overall well-being. And so I would I would just encourage anybody listening to to take the time really think about that and and uh, if anybody wants to learn more regarding nutrition do you have anywhere that you could point them or direct them Yeah we can um, think about adding some links I think you said in in the show notes so we can definitely do that um, There are I mean there's the USDA My Plate website has some good resources um, They've got like ten tips style education handouts, which can be really, really great. Um, So we can think about adding some of those. And then, you know, individuals on social media, there's definitely some good accounts you can follow, um, not only talking about nutrition, but there's actually some cool intersections between agriculture as well. Um, So I've got a couple of accounts that we can add, um, thinking about how you can intersect the two and, and really bring sustainability and nutrition together in, in agriculture and nutrition. So um, we'll make sure to jump yeah. to those in the chat. We'll get those links and we'll add those to the notes. And I guess last thing, just any closing thoughts or anything you want to add? Yeah. Well, I'm again, thrilled that I was able to be here today. I think as you know, we've got mental health awareness month, just not to overlook the impact that nutrition can have on our mental health um, and the, the benefits of getting a variety of color, a variety of foods to your day, um, and, and just making one small change at a time. And you heard it all here, folks, directly from the Global Nutrition Affairs Lead here at Bear. And uh, Kelly, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. And I hope that this has just been a good reminder to everybody listening that there are all sorts of ways, and nutrition is certainly one of them that we can mind our melon. 